Remember, when things go wrong, it's my fault for being a crappy manager. And when things go well, it's because you guys are awesome. So, let's go. the fan conversation show about the AMC Network fabulous show, Lodge 49. Uh, We come to you every Thursday weekly, recapping, discussing, diving into the shows. You can find our past episodes if you're catching up. Welcome. Go back and listen to them. If you haven't already, it'll be fun, I promise you. But Jim, Bart, are you ready to do some talking today? Ready, ready. Absolutely. All right, Jim, why don't you start us off real quick. Give us the rundown of the top of the food chain creative talent behind this week's episode. Okay, uh, we have the same director as last week's episode, Michael Trim, and there are several people credited under writing, but the main credit is given to Alina Mankin. So he, he was responsible for the, at least two this season. Quickly Michael go over Trim, the yeah. music for you, there was three original tracks outside of Andrew Carroll's score, and one is Sir Bradley, I believe. He's actually arguing on this one <laughs> message board that they're not properly accrediting him. So it's, sorry, Sid Bradley. So Sid Bradley's Child of the Sea, that's actually the dumpster diving uh, music. Then we have King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. A B A B C, lowercase d. And the Lilies, Unheard. Of curio- unheard of curio- unheard of curiosities. A couple interesting things about that. One, it's when Jocelyn has returned to London, sort of a introspective moment. But the Lilies had been defunct for some time, and they were actually conjoled to record a new song by Thomas Patterson for uh, this episode. So we've heard a lot of Lilies over the first two seasons of the show. But here we actually get a brand new composition, especially for Lodge 49, The Lilies Unheard of Curiosities. All right, so let's jump into the show. Round of hot takes, Jim. My hot take is that we have a lot of fun callbacks to season one in this episode. First of all, Beth, who I'm sure will be discussed in the Liz and Dud recaps, uh, but also the guy who comes to work at West Coast Super Sales and gets hit in the face by beautiful Jeff's golf club, and then gets beaten again during the robbery at Blaze's Pot Shop. Um, We saw him in episode two of season one. First, he was the guy who wanted to open the vape shop in the Dudley and Son space, and then later Liz yelled at him for honking his horn in the middle of traffic. And I liked the way in this episode that that guy pronounced entrepreneur like it rhymed with manure. (laughs) (laughs) And then another good callback was the judge at the end who's about to marry Dud and Beth. She was the same one from when Dud got charges pressed against him by the new owners of his old house. And she's always in a hurry, this judge. In season one in that episode, she said, Mr. Dudley, this is the last hearing before lunch. And this time we have her saying, can we start? This is the last ceremony of the day. And then quickly, one other callback, it's actually to earlier in season two, when El Confidente and Dutter in the waiting room of that brain company or dream reading company, it's the same office where Liz was working for Dr. Kimbrough. So we see the door that says the Dibrium Associates, uh, which was the, where the guy came out of originally when she first went there. And then we see a woman at a desk, presumably a receptionist. And on IMDb, she's credited as 
Dr. Kimbrough's mother. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, that was interesting. All right, Bart, what's your scorcher? Um, I don't know how scorching hot it is, but my hot take of the episode was a sort of a, the role reversal of Dud and Liz. Dud is usually the carefree one, and she's Liz is usually more serious one and worried about um, just the more realistic things of life, I guess. And um, you know, I think her pairing up with uh, Lenore, she really sort of opens up and kind of throws. You know, she kind of just goes with the flow, which is more much more of a Dud thing than a Liz thing. I don't know. She was really a kind of a different side of her, I thought. And it made me kind of wonder if maybe part of her sort of uptightness, I guess, compared to Dud anyway, is has to do with not having a mother or somebody that she could sort of pal around with, I guess. And it seems like Lenore has kind of been a bit of a substitute because she's telling her more about her past and um, she's learning more about her dad. And I just think she's kind of clung on to her, at least in this episode, as this sort of older female role model for her. And in the process, she kind of becomes this um, much more happy-go-lucky person. I mean, you know, she gets in, she buys a bunch of that Fidrate. Um, she's really swept up into it. So it's just, to me, it was very interesting to kind of watch them and then, you know, Dud is, is very, uh, you know, he's constantly war- uh, warning her about Lenore. He wants Lenore to go away. And so he's he's more protective and she's more carefree. And that's, I don't know, it was a very interesting way that they kind of flipped. Though he does get married on a whim. That's very Dud-like at the end. But, um, yeah, that's, that was, I, that's my hot take was the uh, role reversal for Liz and Dud. My hot take was that you really saw a moment of development for Liz when she goes from cynicism to authenticity in her higher stakes management speech. You know, she's kind of doing the eye rolls and, you know, making little smirks while listening to, uh, what's his face? What's his name? I can never get his name right. Tarquin. Tarquin, yeah. Tarquin, right. So she's, you know, Tarquin's doing his Tarquin thing, et cetera. And, you know, you got to do a speech. And at first she has, you know, makes this kind of funny but sort of obvious joke about French fries and, and food markups. But then you see something switches and that, that there's a cynicism that washes away. And it, it is such a great moment because you see, I think we've seen a lot of progression in Liz, even in the first four episodes. And it almost was like a, a click over moment. And then she, she delivers one of, you know, just like what is probably the and I've taken my share of them, the core value of any of these like management training, leadership training, seminar, bs things, which is like, you know, when it, when it goes wrong, I suck. When it goes right, you are awesome. And I don't know. I thought that one, that was just a great encapsulation of what it actually is like to be an effective manager or director or whatever. And you really almost in a 20 second transition saw, I think Liz stepping into a new identity a little bit. Yeah, totally agree. I really, I, I love that scene, obviously, but um, I mean, obviously for me because uh, the restaurant, but uh, yeah, I, I really, you, you could see it in her face. She definitely kind of wakes up and she, she kind of embraces the role. I thought it was very refreshing to kind of see her do that. She's usually kind of so sardonic and what have you. And um, yeah, she, she, she should be queen is, is correct. And she's, <laughs> she steps up to the plate. <laughs> All right, so we're going to jump into some other things here in a second, but I'm going to take just a few minutes to say we are loving uh, the listener engagement that we're getting on Twitter, that we're getting on Facebook, and that we're actually getting in some other places. 
I don't want to. I don't want to brag, but we'll take. We will for a second. We're we're uh, heading towards 500 total streams and downloads since we launched the podcast. I'm sure when this episode goes up, we'll probably cross that plateau. So you'll uh, forgive us a moment here. But I also want to say we'd love uh, listener engagement. We love reviews, obviously, wherever you listen to the podcast. So I want to read one recent review we got on iTunes. It is from a KT Sergeant or Sergeant. You know, I don't pronounce names. So apologies, KT. Love the way the hosts dive into themes of the show and describe their own way of experiencing Lodge 49, such as describing how Lodge 49 must smell. It's a great podcast, and you can tell how much these guys truly enjoy each little detail about the great show. Well done. So there you go. We'd love more of those. If you're a little bit more pointed in your criticism, we'll also read those. You know, if we get an especially great hate mail one, we'll love to read it. But also, if you've got a question or something you'd like us to talk about, find us on Twitter, find us an email. That's all in the show notes. Or, better yet, send us an audio clip on your phone or whatever, and we'll actually run your mailbag question and address it on future episodes so there is your invitation to pod 49 all right let's get into our recap we're going to start with our lodge as a character and jim you're walking us through that this week all right so there are a couple scenes in the beginning that don't take place in the lodge but had a lot of significance for the lodge the first being dud and blaze arguing over whether to go to Mexico um, and whether to focus on the scrolls versus, you know, alchemy. Blaze is saying you cannot treat the scrolls as an ATM and you have to have pure intent. And then the, the second big lodge moment for me was when El Confidente revealed that Ernie had been anointed sovereign protector by Larry because nobody else knew that. And so that led the other guys, of course, to challenge Scott as a usurper. So in the first scene in the lodge... We have Dud, Blaze, and El Confidente trying to sell a painting of Anita to her for $1,000 as she's sitting in the bar with Gil and Ben. And nobody there has that kind of money. Um, Gil, <laughs> Gil reveals that he's become a Fidro salesman, or he says he's bought into the franchise. And then Ben says it's all around town. So, you know, Fidro is growing. It's going to be a big part of the story for the whole season, the rest of the season, I would assume. And of course, you know, at the end, we've got Liz into it as well. That leads to more the, one of the more hilarious lines in the episode when Dud says, that is a pyramid scheme. Put your money into something real. The scrolls. <laughs> 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 then we're with Scott, and he is refusing to fund the trip to Mexico. He is focused on practical concerns, wanting them to clean the grease traps in the kitchen for the upcoming wedding which at that point we don't know as Beth's. Dud calls Scott a usurper with some help from Blaze because he didn't remember the word. And then Scott's like, get out. He kicks them out. Blaze recommends that Scott look, in look inside himself. And when Jocelyn takes that same tack, Scott tells him to go back to London. He's done with him. He says, you have no rank. So those are big changes. You know, We've seen Scott going further down this trajectory of pissing everyone off, alienating everybody at the lodge in the service of keeping his power and following rules and whatnot. So then in Lodge 1 in London, we have uh, Melinda and Connie. They have a discussion over a theme that we've addressed and that is constantly coming up on, on the show, and that's the issue of whether the magical realism element 
predominates or whether it even has validity versus, you know, is the lodge just a place for fellowship? And we don't really come to a conclusion with that. Connie says, you know, she's never believed that the squirrels are magic, asks, you know, Melinda or Clara. We still don't have clarity on, on, on what her actual name is. Um, I guess I'll say Clara. What I think she Clara believes. because uh, Melinda's sort of the, like, mysterious one that no one sees. So that seems like to be her made-up character. Sure. With a okay. different accent, make, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so Melinda says that she believes in being a part of something, a tradition, and it gives her a reason to get up in the morning, you know? But she also doesn't rule out the magic element and says if there is, you know, the schools are magic, we have to protect them. And that she says she's put something in motion to get them back. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see what that's going to be. Then we have... Uh, back at Lodge 49, Jocelyn's saying goodbye to Scott through the door, which is just a great scene because you get to see them both acting solo. But, you know, they're, it's, it's solo but together, and, and that, you know, the, the feeling that's there is really impressive. And I actually forgot to mention, I was going to say, when Scott tells Jocelyn to go back to London, that was an amazing piece of acting. His face is just trembling, and you can tell that he's got this range of emotions going on all at the same time. So, you know, when Jocelyn says, you know, you have friends in, friends here, let them in, and then that leaves this sight gag of Anita coming up through the tunnel, from the tunnel, and Scott is not pleased about that. The last we see of him is that he's boarding up, boarding that up so people won't be able to come into the Sanctum Sanctorum anymore um, from the tunnel. And then... We have Jocelyn saying goodbye to Don Fab, which was hilarious to me because (laughs) Jocelyn is being his kind of formal, you know, thoughtful, literary, English, very English self. And Don Fab's like, okay, man, see you later. Yeah. (laughs) I almost didn't think he was going to speak at all. (laughs) I thought he's going to go the whole uh, series without uh, saying a word. Great. (laughs) And uh, of course, we finish up at, well, not the very last scene, but the almost last scene is that. The lodge where it's uh, Beth's wedding, or it's supposed to be Beth's wedding. Dud comes in and fate takes over, or spontaneity at least takes over. And it just, on rewatching, it was, you know, I picked up on something that I hadn't at first because I wasn't really thinking about the lodge being where she was going to ma- get married. She calls it, I think, the crappiest place ever. You know, she's complaining about her fiance to Liz at higher stakes. And she says like, you know, he didn't pay the deposit. And so now we're getting married in the crappiest place ever. (laughs) So that's how the lodge gets described by this person who Dud then finds himself getting married to. (laughs) I look forward to that. I'm not stepping foot in that place. uh, Arguments if they're uh, in their marriage. (laughs) Yeah. What does she say? So it's, uh, how can you be uptight and incompetent at the same time? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) I've definitely, the internet loved that line. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've definitely wondered that about many people before. So that It's resonated. funny. I never, I never, it's true. I, when she said it, I was like, yeah, that's true. Most uptight people, that's their saving grace is that they're at least competent, you know. Um, so she can probably deal with Dud's incompetence, I suppose. All right, well, that leads us into Dud. Give us Dud's plot points, Bart. Okay, so, yeah, a lot of Dud, uh, unlike last week, he's, he's in, obviously, quite a bit this week. Um, so he opened up, he's, uh, well, it was kind of funny. I actually ended up watching it again with my kids because I was running short on time. That The camera kind of pans over those those drawings that they have on the wall, 
and it's actually like two two people having sex and uh and I only noticed that because I was watching it with my kids and I kind of looked to see if they were noticing it too, but they didn't, which was good, I guess. And it's really like a foreshadowing of sort of what's to come because when the first thing that uh, Blaze says to him is uh, Cognuncio, which is the title of the episode. And that's when he's talking about um, an alchemical marriage. And so, of course, you know, he's talking to Dud about this and Dud ends up... So after watching it and going back, and I, I, I had written down Comuncio because that's what I heard, but then I realized that it was actually the title of the episode when I, w- I watched it again. So it was a great little foreshadowing scene there. Blaze, um, it seems to be kind of a losing patience a little bit with Dud. I think he, you know, you're going to be my um, squire. Or not squire. Um, apprentice. Yeah, if you're going to be my apprentice, just do that, you know. Calls it the unholy cash grab. Can't treat the scroll- scrolls like an ATM. But then he turns and sort of seems very excited about it when some Dud's able to kind of get him in, interested in the idea. Oh, and then actually right after that is when they're in the um, parking lot where, where the uh, trailer is, and he's with um, El Confidente and Blaze, and Ernie shows up. That's when he sees the picture of Blaze being down there, and now he's getting really excited. And, of course, they learn about Ernie being the sovereign protector, after that, Dud is um, visiting. He goes to visit Liz, and he's very shocked to see Lenore. He seems very disappointed in Liz. That's where they kind of, to me, where they're kind of like different personalities. She's the one telling him to kind of like give her a chance, and he's, you know, unlike him, he doesn't want to give her a chance. And she says something about like, imagine if Dad had actually married her, and he's like, I don't, because it didn't happen. And to Dud, I think that would ruin things, because it was just, as he says, it was always just the three of us. And then, of course, Liz says, well, really, it was Dud and Dudley and Son. She kind of lets him, I think, him and us into the idea that she, I guess, by death of her mother, felt a little cheated, that she didn't have that sort of same bond that Dud had. And then he's meeting with Daphne and El Confidente. Um, they sign up a contract, um, which they get notary publicked by Bert. And that's a nice little scene, I thought, contract aside, in a way, because it seems like it's another terrible business decision of duds um i like daphne's sort of opening up about what she really was i mean she's still sort of a con artist i think but she talks about being two hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt and uh she has this great line i was an adjunct professor and dud says that's great and then she says do you know what adjunct means and i thought that was a great line of the episode as well have you noticed sorry to break it but have you noticed that like it's kind of this running gag of what words dud knows or doesn't know <laughs> yeah because yeah. you have like that, because then you have that where she, what their first interaction when she's like pro bono, I think it was pro bono, right? And he's like, I know what pro bono means. He gets like annoyed. But then we have these other times where like, you know, and he sheepishly is like, no. So I, I, it's something to watch. I, I Like what words does Dud know and, and what characters actually call him out on it? Yeah, like usurper too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, totally. Good point. And then uh, we have uh, Dud is at the doctor's office with El Confidente. Um, where he goes and they study his dreams. And we have, you know, one of my favorite scenes in the whole episode, uh, both uh, El Confidente talking about um, his wife and how he lost her and why he started painting, which I thought was real sweet. But then also when Doug asked him to paint a picture of him with the his leg healed, with the scrolls, my wife or someone significant or something, and maybe a kid, he says, and Liz and Ernie. I, I just really, really love that scene very touching moment you know the show is obviously um humorous very often but it does have these little really really nice tender moments i think and that's definitely one of them then i guess later he back trying to convince ernie to come with them on the trip to mexico 
uh, where Ernie then offers him a job at the uh, Super Salesforce. And he's obviously, it's almost like you can see on Dud's face that it's like he kind of thought this might happen at some point or that, you know, in a way, Ernie's crossing some line of being too parental. You know, it seems like it's almost like somebody saying, like, you got to you got to get a real job, Dud. You know, it's just a way that a kid will roll their eyes at their parents, you know. And there's another great line in that, actually. I'm looking at my notes here um, where he's, I think Ernie says something, you got to stop running away from your problems. And he says, I'm not running, I'm fighting. And I think that's really important because um, it's easy to kind of see Dud this way, that he's sort of just flip-flopping around. And I think Liz has a a similar um, complaint about him. And I think what he's sort of letting us in to know is that this is his sort of way of getting back on track. You know, I mean, he's kind of said this a few times, I think, but I really like that line. Um, and let's see here. And then, yeah, of course, he's feeling very lonely in this whole episode. He kind of is striking out with everybody. He can't, you know, first he's convinced Blaze to do it, but then Blaze gets robbed. And then, so then Blaze says, I'm not doing it. Ernie won't do it. And then he even goes to see El Confidente and he's sort of saying like, you know, nobody, nobody wants to be with me. Nobody wants to hang out with me. I really appreciate you doing this. And the next thing you know, he's getting whacked over the head with a, um, cast iron pan. Bonk, bonk. As he's looking at the painting of it, which I thought was a nice little twist. And, um, and then, of course, he is then, and he kind of comes to, and he's really, really down. Uh, you know, he's got this giant knot on his head and walks into the lodge, runs into Beth, and she talks about Destiny. And this is what he mentions, I think, earlier in the episode, too, where to Liz, like, that's not the way it works. It works. You just f- find somebody and fall in love and just make a decision and go with it, you know. And so this is exactly what he always sort of wanted, I think. Yeah, it's obviously very spur of the moment, but it seems to fit him very well. And then at the very last scene, he looks like he's returned and he's happy. Kind of got his um, duende back. We'll see. We'll see about um, that, though, <laughs> once yeah. you realize what it's like to be married. I, I don't he's think he's going to regret that, it at all. Uh, you might have nothing in common with. Uh, more on, yeah, yeah, I am, yes. What a wow moment. Did not see that one. I, you know, yes, cut to them in the library making out or whatever. Cut to them in a car peeling away. Sure, that, but when they, when we all waiting for that, when then it jumped to the, it jumped to that was, that was a. Well, she a wanted kind of, to get married. I, I, it wasn't the marriage, it's like. She wants to get married, just, you know, I think she does this just not to little Tim. <laughs> little Tim. <laughs> Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim. Uh, all right, I'll pick up on Liz. Liz had a, you know, well, Liz is a is a superstar of the show, no doubt about that. We start off with just a great scene of her invited to this high stakes. People in the uh, air traffic industry looks like, you know, there's a pilot, there's stewardesses, there's uh, the ground crew, got some illicit uh, international card game. It looked like a version of poker, but like, you know, one of those just drop your, you know, one and done, very kind of like n- no skill. Great, just great scene with Liz kind of card sharking it. Her and you instantly get that her and Lenore are but- buddying up without having to do like that much exposition. And then we get the great dumpster dive scene. And then we end up, the two of them, back at cleaning up. And this is where we get the interaction with Dud. He's obviously not very happy to see Lenore there. That bleeds into, I think both of you have mentioned it at different times, but just a fantastic scene with Dud and Liz on the, in, on the couch. And I like, love what you said, Bart, about how they flipped, because that's how I felt, too. Like, there was a one, the responsible. It was so interesting to, to scramble that a little bit, and this kind of joy on Liz's face that even in, 
when she was having to answer his kind of annoying questions, right? Like, here's a guy who's like, whatever, let me be my bee. And then, like, anytime, you know, then he's like, you know, Johnny on your case. From there, she continues to want to hang out with Lenore and get more stories. She gets some more stories. We learn little bits. We learn about... I thought it was a really kind of poetic moment about her learning that her mom liked to swim at night. You know, it wasn't just that she worked at the cafeteria, that her dad, her husband loved her, et cetera, et cetera, that here was like personality trait, a quirk. I would hazard a bet we're going to see Liz in night swimming, or was it referencing the, the boat dive? But, the, you know, we'll sort of see if that pops up again, night swimming and Liz. This uh, gets a great scene, which I'm going to put my early marker in as the uh, thumbnail for for the episode, which is Liz's face in the Phydrate toilet bowl, which mm-hmm. is what it looks like from that. You know, it looks like that same shot you get in anybody when they want to get POV puking, mm-hmm. but this time she's, like, exfoliating in Phydrate or whatever the hell she's doing. She, like, opens uh, her eyes get, and she I, just looks so happy. You know, like, she goes right, in they, with oh, her eyes and she opens them and, it, and she gets, like, a little smile on her face. And then the, the next time you see her is when she's got, like, 50 cases of it in the house, you know, so... She, but yeah, she, yeah, totally. They actually, because I've actually already got the still if we want to use it, and her eyes are actually crossed in almost like goofy pleasure. Like, so yeah, she's got like a total almost O face, and also same color scheme as the uh, car wash, by the way. So a similar mm-hmm. like mundane psychedelic color scheme there around that. I already talked about it in my hot take, but we get Liz in action both prepping. The, the crew of higher stakes for the night and then being in, in the action. Uh, I loved how serious she was. You know, like, why aren't you pushing drinks? You know, why is that one drink? Huge table of women. Come on. And then she, of course, that discovers Beth. And then we get off on the Beth journey, which people have already talked about. They have this great scene where she says, come back for a shot. They're doing shots in the kitchen. Beth could pay no attention. Like, who is this guy, which is champ, even though, you know, he's dropping knowledge on her. But as soon as Liz starts talking about her you know in the conversation beth actually thinks champ is and his his philosophy is more interesting <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, she takes the champ anybody who takes the champ is good in my book i really like that. i know <laughs> but it was as soon good as like, let me talk test. about me oh you're talking about you now yeah. let me go over here well as soon uh, as she said that her mother was dead she said, what was your mother doing when she was 30 she right was dead yeah right Tell, instead of like oh my god sorry or like some kind of thing or whatever yeah. it's like oh brains voting in goo <laughs> uh, tell, tell me more <laughs> of this cartesian cage you speak of yeah. <laughs> and so we, we get liz she ends up staying apparently for the tupperware party of phydrate that that lenore is throwing and we see that she has come home with with not just some case, cases plural would be a misnomer this is about half a truck's worth of phydrate phydro uh so phydro sorry jim you said earlier we're gonna see this storyline i think you're exactly right and someone's got to do something with liz's living room supply so that's liz bart take us home with ernie okay yeah ernie has a very little screen time actually in this episode um going back and looking at and cutting from scene to scene just to see where he was in i was kind of surprised by it because he has a i think he has a big presence in it he has a lot of memorable scenes, but he has, it's in very few. Uh, it starts off where he brings back the tiger van to El Confidente, and then he's very adamant that he's not going on this trip. He wants to just do his day job. He, it's not exciting, but it's a paycheck. He's, he's in a way, uh, accepting where he's at in his life. He's, it seems like he's come to terms with the idea that he's going to work at the desk and not be a road guy anymore. Uh, that's where we find out that Larry anointed Ernie in the camper. Uh, El Confidente tries to insist that he needs to go on his nightly quest, but Ernie's not having it. He's at work uh, with uh, beautiful Jess and Bob, 
when and they get the kid who uh, is the entrepreneur and um, mm-hmm. with his uh, black eyes and busted nose, and he um, talks about he really waxes poetic there for a bit about what it was like to be a sales salesman and it, it, on the road, and it seems like he's he really seems like he's kind of made his peace with it. Whereas before he still didn't want to give up. Now he's sort of seems like he's okay being at his, at the desk. It's almost like he's looking back on his life and he's sort of proud of it for once instead of, you know, he's always talking about how he's always made the wrong turns in life. But now he's sort of saying, uh, looking back that, you, you know, I had some good times. He really goes on about the road and he's at the top of this transitional loop looking at the sun. And then he says the fire over the out over the ocean which I, I guess is the sun, but he says the sun and then says the fire out over the ocean, which uh, we were talking about also a lot of the fire in paintings and stuff like that, so maybe there is some sort of uh, literal fire, uh, it, you know. There's oil. also just the sunsets in California, in Southern California, are often amazing out over the ocean. Yeah, I'm sure that's what he, that's what I took it as, you know, some form of that, but anyway, there was just so much, so many mentions of fire in the episode. Then he has that scene with Dud where he tries to tell him to maybe take the job at uh, Super Sales. And then he has a really nice scene with El Confidente. And that's what I was kind of talking about earlier, where you kind of see that Ernie is kind of making peace with this this whole age of his life, basically. And he talks about almost being a father, a family man, um, which is very interesting. I, you, We were talking about it earlier, and you guys mentioned that maybe, um, maybe he was going to marry somebody that already had a kid. I hadn't considered that. I thought maybe the woman he was with was pregnant and then lost the baby. Because he says in an earlier episode, we lost her when he's drunk. And I thought maybe they had, it was miscarriage or, God forbid, stillbirth, something like that. And then maybe their relationship didn't survive it after that. They, uh, But who knows? Yeah, he says, and then he makes his claim for the idea that the, the, the lodge is really not about the scrolls. You know, I was going through this terrible time. That's when I fell, fell into the lodge and I met Larry and he was just a friend who helped me get through it. And he basically is saying, like, you know, we're older. Our die is cast. Dud is a young man. Let's not... We're older. We're wiser. We know that this is kind of leading nowhere. So let's make sure that we don't let Dud come down the same path with us. And he seems to... And he does. He convinces El Confidente, I think. Dud still has a chance. And then he... Um, to the very, very end, he re- reunites with Connie. She's there. He walks in to see her bags there. And, of course, she's in the room with the blindfold on, and they embrace. It was very sweet. And that was basically... So not a lot of screen time, but a lot going on with Ernie this week. So that brings us into what we wanted to... One of the topics we want to spend some time on, and I think all of us hit it both in our hot takes and in our recap, and that is the, the quality... And in fact, that quality is actually is a left-handed compliment. The exemplary acting on this show at all levels of the cast. I mean, you think about even the fact that you get reincurring characters like Vape vape Guy or the Temp Joy worker, where they they still pop as much as the big actors and the big characters. I just, you know, we're kind of a mid-season. It's been on for a while. I think a lot of people, well, a lot of people, but there's a fan base that's growing and people that are really discovering and falling in love with the show. And I think one of the reasons is the acting is so good, it's so warm, and it's so human and i think this episode almost felt like just a showcase on some of these these acting jobs just across the board yeah uh what do you all think or what were some of the performances that knocked you out i like blaze uh this week i mean i like them all i guess but um but to me blaze kind of stood out 
where he's he kind of has this range of emotions when he's talking to Dud early on. Says, you know, he's he's seems very annoyed with Dud. Then he kind of immediately kind of flips and sort of seems very intrigued by it. Then when he's at uh, was in the office with Scott, he kind of it's almost like they're like going to start a death match or something. He kind of stares Scott down. I mean, Scott is obviously a large, buff dude. And uh, Blaze is not about that, but he really kind of stands up to him. I really liked his scene there. And then after the burglary, he's really, uh, you know, Dud comes to visit him in the library. He's almost like hiding behind the books. There's like these giant stacks of books and he's, it's almost like he's slouched down in the chair and he's kind of hiding behind them and you kind of see this vulnerability to him. So there was such a wide range in uh, Blaze this week that uh, David Pasquese is going to be is who I yeah I mean but yeah I agree I agree totally that the acting is phenomenal and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that the show is so well thought out and it's such a complete thing it's it's um, you know there's like no stone unturned with it it's 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 really it's got such a everything comes together with it so clear that I think it helps the actors kind of get there and the directors kind of do it not to say that you know they're not that it's easy but that I, I think it makes it easier when it the show is sort of so complete it knows what it is it knows what it's trying to do and uh yeah it so it allows them this area to do that but yeah blaze i thought there were a lot of great moments of acting in this episode and some of which we've already brought up you know bart talked about ernie reminiscing about his time on the road the and also the the moment when dud is telling el confidente what he wants him to paint for his future and that was just really emotional for me. I actually had a hard time rewatching that. It was just like, ah, oh, this is really, you know, that was a moment that where I felt that, you know, Wyatt Russell's acting just really was uh, spectacular. And for me, though, the superstar of the episode was Scott, uh, Eric Allen Kramer, because he had one scene in particular where he had to express so much without saying anything. When Jocelyn is saying goodbye to him through the door and we see through his expression, he's there with his guitar and, and we see that he feels hurt. He feels frustrated. He's angry. He seems like he just doesn't know what to do with all that, all those emotions. But we see how much they're affecting him. I agree. Also, I think he's doing a great job at making me hate him. Uh, that's funny because he actually were uh, and i would always i would also definitely call out eric allen kramer's acting and i i I was almost but i almost had the opposite reaction he actually made me kind of love him a little bit because that moment where he can't accept the advice right and and banishes jocelyn back to london it's just like the breakthrough, right? It's just so right. It's like you could tell. Like it was like teetering. It's either going to be like a breakdown and a thank you and you're right or or that the, the stick up the ass is just going to jam that much more and he's going to retreat inward. And, you, you know, like you see him, the physical acting there of this wavering when he breaks bad, so to speak, there. I actually kind of found it heartbreaking. I, I, I kind of felt like... You know, I wish he could just accept the uh, hug from Jocelyn and, and move forward, move forward with life. I was going to call out and then I'd love to throw it to you all for a quick opinion. You know, we know Cheech, right? We know Cheech Marin. And he's, you know, he's been working. He's a big working character actor for the last 20 years. So it's not like where'd they get Cheech Marin out of the mothballs. Look, go look him up on IDBM. That guy, uh, IMDB. He's been working steadily for a long time. A lot of TV work. 
et cetera, et cetera, not playing the Cheech and Chong character. But he was so good in this episode. The scene with Dud, you know, wasn't just Ryan, Wyatt Russell, like that. And then just the the, the hangdogness of life, the, the life weariness. I think he, you know, is even more than Larry. Larry was kind of a cartoon character, and in some ways El Confidente is, or at least that's how they set him up to be. But he's got a lot of pathos, and the acting job that he's putting in might be, like, for his time capsule. Classic Cheech and Chong and Lodge 49 as his, like, legacy acting bits. I, I was blown away. And then even, like, a throwaway line was, you know, we're trying... I don't remember the exact line, but, like, we're trying to save the scrolls here, and this clown's talking about <laughs> Greek span. Greek straps, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but Jim, I also know you wanted to, I, I know you wanted to talk about Cheech as well. Yeah, I also just thought he was fantastic. Yeah, I've developed this uh, newfound respect for him because I do kind of just, most of the exposure I've had to him is just sort of Cheech and Chong, you know, movies. And also he played a role in one of my favorite movies, After Hours. Um, oh, right. But it's a similar kind of role where he's, it's just sort of goofy, funny, you know, and he just brings so much to this role. I still don't know what to make of El Confidente a little bit because of that, because I think with the tiger van, at first we just thought, this is some crazy guy, and he's going to lead people on weird adventures. And then we get, yeah, this backstory, like you were saying, the part where he's talking about his wife, or there's a couple parts where he's talking about his wife dying, and also just about how his life has gone and some of his his disappointments and the the job he does of it is just really admirable. Yeah, Gary, I loved Cheech in this one. El Comandante. He did. Yeah, I, I just thought the um, scenes where he's talking about his wife seemed very, very real, almost as if. I mean, I think when you're by the time you're his age, you probably have lived through some dying of cancer or something. But um, it, yeah, it felt very. I, I yeah, I felt like we kind of really got to know who he was and like some background on him. He doesn't seem so kooky. He just seems like he's he's looking for some sort of purpose to do. You know, stay active. Yeah, yeah. like his his wife told him to you know get get off his ass. Don't don't stay on his ass. I did feel in that scene with Dud that even though it was subtle or. I, I thought it was that when he is talking about how he felt after his wife died, that maybe Dud internalized that and, and suddenly realized what it was like for his dad. Because in that scene with Liz, he was kind of like, who cares about mom? She was gone. It's all about dad and what he did for us and the life he built with us. And then when El Confidente is talking about what it was like having a hard time sleeping and having these dreams and is waking up without his wife... I felt like maybe something clicked for Dud a little bit there that, oh, maybe I should be thinking about Dad through that perspective as well and what he went through. Mm, interesting, yeah. We can't, I don't know, the, it's hard to talk about the acting on the show. I, it's hard, It's hard. I feel like we're leaving a lot of them behind. Yeah. And one thing, you know, a lot of the actors are very active on Twitter and social media, and so it kind of tells me that there is a warm, there is like a, the fellowship sort of, spills over into the cast. There's a lot of a lot of publicly celebrating when they have big moments. Linda Emmons and Cheech, she was she was doing a big Cheech thing on Twitter about how awesome he is. So you can kind of get so you know, sometimes that warmth needs to exist at least to some degree in real life for it to translate to some degree on the screen. So it's interesting to see it from that perspective too. Yeah, the guy but, playing Gerson also mentioned it on Twitter. I forget his actor's name, but uh, he said something about what a privilege it was to to act with the great Cheech. So you get that vibe, but you know, 
Linda Emmons. I think I'm saying e- that right. I think it's so. e- Emmons. Emmons. Okay, sorry, Linda. I think we cut that my stumbling through your name out of last week, so I wanted to get that in here again. Yeah, Emmons. Um, she, I mean, last week was her, her Emmy episode, but she's awesome all the time. But can we just please talk about Sonya Cassidy? Because if I'm giving one acting award... It would be tough between Brent Jennings and Sony Cassidy. That would be my that would be my difficult choice. I think if I had to name one, but I think it ultimately might have to go with Sony Cassidy. Of course, plays Liz. She does like that scene with her and Dud on the couch. She does so much with her face in in reactions and her eyebrows and whatnot that uh, I don't know. She's just she's just incredible. I mean, how she doesn't this doesn't help to catapult her. I would be depressed yeah uh yeah i wanted to bring up one other actor but first just uh the name of the actor who plays gerson is atkins estimond thank you then i wanted to bring up Mary- uh, oh, wait, oh, wait. Oh. Hey, can we acknowledge his uh moving to the front of the house in higher stakes so congratulations on the promotion, the promotion. i think you're gonna be great front of the house uh addition love yeah, he's, seeing him in that vest yeah yeah he's perfect uh, i was thinking about him um he has the kind of personality that if your food arrives late or fucked up, you can't be mad at him. And that's what that's <laughs> like a perfect waiter. All right. Sorry, Jim. Go oh, so the other person I wanted to mention, I, I we talked about this uh, between podcast episodes, but is Mary Elizabeth Ellis. And I know you guys don't watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but she has a pretty key role on that show. And I, I, I didn't recognize her at first on here that she is uh, the waitress from that show. It's a very different kind of show. It's a very different kind of role. So well, all, all the more to I her credit that you didn't recognize yeah. her, right? I mean, she's, yeah. Also, there's yeah, like... That's Daphne, right? Yeah, she's that's Daphne. Daphne. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's Daphne. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, part of it's on me that I watch a lot of things, and so my brain is so full of different TV shows at this point that it's like, who's who anymore? But um, when I realized that, you know, yeah, it made me appreciate much more what she's doing on Lodge 49 because she's taken uh, such a different approach with that character than what, you know, the work I've seen her do before. And she had a great scene this week, too. Every week you get, like, a different sector of the job force, a job job force's, uh, you know, adventures in late-stage capitalism. So her spiel about the, the life and times of an adjunct professor and how horrible and, and borderline indentured servitude that whole industry is at this point was 92nd master class on the issues in university life so uh and which she nailed but if so if you're looking for you know this week's this week's commentary on a particular job that was it yeah if the I, lo- I went and looked up the definition of adjunct because she was like do you know what adjunct means and i laughed and then i was like you know i only know it in terms of adjunct professor so anyway i went and looked it up and talk about a, the very definition of capitalism <laughs> It's uh, something joined or added to another thing, but not essentially a part of it. So, you know, you're all and everyone's sort of involved, but it doesn't it relies on everybody, but it doesn't. But nobody's essential to it. I don't know. I, I, I really love that line. It stuck out immediately. And, and then when I, when I went to look it up, I was like, ah, chef's kiss, you know, uh, I wanted to make one more acting mention. And the reason I even noticed this is because of all the rewatching. And that's I love that we're doing this podcast for many reasons, but one of them is just 
because I want to, you know, be sure I notice what happened and what's going on. I've been watching, we've all been watching like the episodes at least two or three times. And sometimes when I'm rewatching, because I already know what's happening, I'm looking at the people in the background of a scene instead of the main characters who are being focused on in the scene. And so in one of the rewatches, I noticed that uh, when Liz goes to give her speech, or Tarquin's like, give your speech here at higher stakes. Uh, Jeremy in the background is giving just like the super cute smile. He's just like so happy yeah. to see her in that position that she's she's in charge. She's giving the speech. It's just like this quick face that he's got. That's awesome. He just wants to make drinks uh, with stupid names that make people happy, and <laughs> yeah. then go home and hug his son forever. <laughs> I love Jeremy. He just makes me smile. Yeah. All right. So. I love that we take a second out and really just acknowledge the craft that goes into the show, this with the, the acting, and we'll touch on other parts of that as we forward into the podcast. Love to hear your thoughts, of course. You can get us at uh, all the ways in the show notes to contact us. Uh, Jim, you've actually prepared, you picked up, there's always a lot of Easter eggs and external references, uh, little mystery boxes. Jim, you, you picked out some you'd like to, sh- to share with us. Why don't you go ahead and run down your faves from the episode? Yeah, when, you know, one of the things that makes Lodge 49 such a rich viewing experience is that it's brimming with those references to literature and history and philosophy and religion. While I'm not a religious person, I was raised Catholic, and I often can't help but view things through a prism of Christianity because I was so immersed in that growing up. And so I did want to mention a few of the things from this episode that stood out to me. One was when we had El Confidente say to Ernie, you were always going to steal, you know, Ernie's apologizing for stealing the van. He says, don't apologize. You were always going to steal the van, just like Judas was always going to betray Christ. It's what he had to do. And this brings us into the age-old debate over whether everything we do is predestined or whether we have free will. And, you know, we could do a whole podcast episode on that topic and how it plays into this show, but... You know, I just want to mention how it is woven in in a couple ways in this episode. You know, we start off with Dud arguing with Blaze about destiny. What's your destiny? You know, this is, this isn't. And then we end it with Beth asking Dud, do you believe in fate? Mm. <laughs> um, another key moment was that scene that Bart already talked about when Ernie, it seems, talks El Confidente into leaving Dud behind and not taking him to Mexico, saying, you know, that Dud still has his life ahead of him and that they should let him make his own way and his own decisions. But we don't really know whether El Confidente has already painted that painting of him hitting Dud over the head. He does say something about, like, I knew I was going to do it. But I didn't know why. I didn't know why. Yeah, yeah. But when, but at what point did he know it? You know, an hour earlier? So we don't know then if he might already know or have already made the decision or also if some of his paintings are, you know, influenced by his own desires and his own will. So that's all. Well, he seems to paint a lot of them. So they, yeah. And there's one with um, Blazed in Mexico down there with them. And and that obviously doesn't happen. Or maybe it will later. Yeah, maybe it will later. Yeah, I think that they will. I think a lot of those ones that we've seen already will come true. So there's that paradox of, did you have to hit Dud over the head? Did you just, you know? I think so, definitely. There's no to. way you're talking Dud out of that. There's no way you're yeah. talking Oh, no, I don't mean it that way. I, okay. I, I agree. I just mean, like, you know, what leads us to make the decisions we do, you know? And that's certainly a, a argument that has fueled many, you know, 
breakups of religions and <laughs> into different sects and that kind of thing. So another reference was when Tarquin says, out there we proffer our deeds to oblivion. But in here, under the watchful eye of Omni and Janet, things matter. Um, and that first sentence, that first line is from a T.S. Eliot poem called Ash Wednesday. And I know that because I looked it up after. I was like, that sounds like a real quote. And apparently he wrote this poem after he converted to Anglicanism. I don't have a lot of insight into the poem itself, except that it's... He converted to Anglicanism? Imagery. Was he apparently, a, a Catholic? Yeah, I, don't, I don't know, you know. Why, he wanted to get divorced? <laughs> I mean, Anglicanism was Catholicism, was Catholicism until the king wanted to get divorced and they, the Pope wouldn't let him, so he just started Anglicanism. Anyway... I also yeah. was raised. It was uh, yeah, Henry VIII. Henry yeah, VIII. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so I don't have a whole a hell of a lot to say about that poem. It's got some bizarre imagery. That part of the poem that that line comes from is narrated by a person who has been eaten by leopards. Mm, mm. I just wanted to, I just want to throw that out there. Maybe you know we've got Related listeners. Related to a lynx. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I also Another, like that Judas thing, by the way. I don't to go back to it or whatever, but I always thought if to fulfill the pro- prophecy, he had to die on the cross, and Judas was the sort of um, axle that that happens through, right? So I was, you know, when I was a kid, too, I sort of thought, well, I, maybe he's getting a bad rap. You yeah, know, it's not fair. Ju- it's right? not fair. It's like, not he, fair. he was very integral in the whole process, but he's looked right. at as, like, as bad as, like, Pontius Pilate. He's a villain. Yeah, like, the, he was definitely villainized, and... And it is, but then he does commit suicide, right? Judas commits suicide I don't afterwards. Remember? Oh, bad. I don't Catholic. remember, but uh, he does. Know, he hangs himself. El, okay, El Confidente says, you know, he was the holiest of all saints, and he isn't actually a saint, but that's like, a, <clears throat> you know, in a in a, a sense, I guess, if you want to, if you want to look at things that way, you can look at him as a saint. Yeah, I believe and there's just, like hidden books of the Bible or something too, where. There's more about that whole thing where it was that Jesus and Judas had a, an arrangement or something like that, you know, like that in the sense that like uh, Jesus placed that burden on Judas and Judas accepted it, knowing that everyone would hate him afterwards. But someone yeah. had to someone had to do it. I really like that. That and that I mean, reference. sure. And that kind of theme has played out in a lot of other TV shows and movies and whatnot. Someone kind of fulfilling this role. So yeah, just I just said a few more. So a couple of them are really quick. One of them was, um, and this is barely religious, but it's when vape guy goes into Blaze's pot shop and he says he wants the Hieronymus Kush, a uh, pun on Hieronymus Bosch, who did those crazy paintings, you know, like the Garden of Earthly Delights of like you know heaven and hell imagery and people being eaten by demons and stuff. Then we had Melinda saying something very foreboding that if the scrolls fell into the wrong hands all of christendom could be threatened and of course christendom means all of christianity but also it could be i think interpreted to mean kind of the civilized world Uh, yeah unfortunately it it usually does refer to that right right. as you know the primacy of certain traditions in the west when i think it's been proven that privileged above others Buddhism is clearly the best religion. And um, then, uh, what, just one more thing I wanted to say was when Dud, there's this really beautiful scene in this episode when Dud is standing by himself in shallow water and the sun is blazing behind him, or the, the fire in the sky, you know, like, like Ernie called it the fire. Um, he's looking up, he's got his eyes closed, and it's after he's been rejected by uh, three times, um, which is another biblical thing, but by, by Liz and Ernie and Blaze, none of them want to go to Mexico with him. For me, it, it reminded me of when Jesus is on the cross and he says to God, why have you forsaken me? And just for that, this was 
what came to mind for me when I saw Dud in that framing and in that position. Well, the cock, just again, when, the, to, oh. when the cock crows three times, you'll betray me, was what Jesus said to Judas. Yeah, and, but Peter denied oh, no, Peter. him three times. Peter denied Peter him, denies three, him times. three times. That's right. Yeah. But anyway, last of threes in that whole thing. We are terrible. You guys are going deep on the CCD. Yeah, CCD. Uh, I hope my mom doesn't hear this. All that stuff. Um, And just to be clear, I don't actually believe in any of that stuff, but it is interesting to reference. (laughs) Anyway, so that was my religious stuff. And there, there, there was one more. There was a literary reference. It has the word heaven in it, but it's not explicitly religious. It was what Jocelyn says to Don Fab, who doesn't really give a shit. But as he's leaving, he's talking about, you know, why would anyone leave California? And he says, isn't there any heaven where old beautiful dances, old beautiful intimacies prolong themselves? And I looked that up because I did not know it, and it's from a novel by Ford Maddox Ford called The Good Soldier, Mm. which from my just very limited perusal of what it's about and some background is that it was about two couples that were friends, one American, one English. And it's this quote comes from near the beginning of the book. The narrator is talking about the dissolution of this friendship between these people and some of the language that you that's used calls to mind the lodge and what the lodge represents to Jocelyn and to other people, but in this case to Jocelyn, that there's this line, where better could one take refuge? Where better? And, you know, that was what he was... That's what the what lodge was is. for him, in a way, yeah. Poor Jocelyn. Poor yeah. Jocelyn. So sad. Anyway. And he had to put the tweed back on, and I felt, and it was, you know, as foretold in the painting. Yeah, the painting uh, said it all. You know, yeah, which I didn't the get the first time. Like, one. that's another rewatching thing where... I didn't notice what that was until, you know, the first time. It just kind of blew past me. Well, I saw so, the orbiscope. I knew what the orbiscope was. Yeah. And then when Scott fires him, basically, I was like, ah, the painting. Yeah, the painting was great. By the way, uh, you know, AMC, the, the PR team, the social media team, can you just start an Instagram account with all the paintings? That'd be, that'd be great. Thank you. Yeah. I want um, one of those paintings. I want to buy one of those paintings and put it in my house. I know. <laughs> We got. We'll, we'll we'll dig in. Maybe we'll in a future episode we'll get a little bit of information on on the the artist and maybe like even if it was like a guy on the you know he was part of the props department they've got to be like copying a style. I mean, it's definitely folk yeah, art style, they're, but they're, I bet you it's, uh, even, I, it's like, definitely the same uh, artist. They're very uh, yeah. You can tell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think my favorite one is when the globe guy is falling through the sky with his head on fire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Janet. <laughs> Which might be Janet. We don't know because it know. could be her. Uh, it could be someone else. It could be Tarquin. Uh, it could be anybody, actually. Isn't that the uh, one that Blaze is looking at? And he's like, what is No, the, it's Dud. It's Dud. It's right before oh, right. Dud gets hit over the head. He pulls that out and he's like, what's that? I knew it was somebody. I love there's a whole crate. It almost looks like, you know, I'm a record guy. So it almost looks like a crate of records, but it's this giant milk crate of just all these paintings. I mean, we've seen like 10 or 15 of them, but there's a... Apparently, like, whole crates of more more future scenes. Yeah, I get the impression there's yeah. thousands of them. All right, so we're at that time where we discuss our Alchemist of the Week. All right, so let's check in on Twitter. Yes, Beth is in the lead on Twitter. Facebook, I, the Facebook fan page is, is a little kooky. They love their conspiracy theories, and uh, they love adding people to the poll that I put up there. So uh, they added dud this week to the people that we already had up there and they added el confidente which means el confidente won the poll because if you even aggregate twitter and facebook even though he was not a it was not a selection um the add-on the write-in one and el confidente was the uh, fans alchemist of the week cough cough Did he win last week too 
Yes, or, or came in very high, both in the write-in category. So very strong write-in contingent for El Confidente. Jim, who is your alchemist of the week? My alchemist of the week was Lenore. And just quickly, to me, she turned her budding friendship with Liz into gold, into cash even, by getting her to buy all that Phydro. Uh, and, you know, I feel like there might be something where, even though she wanted to keep her jet-set lifestyle, as she told Liz, and didn't want to marry the dad, maybe some part of her appreciates at this age like having potential almost daughter-like friendship with Liz, you know, and that seems to be going in a direction that she's into and it's making her happy. Uh, my alchemist of the week is Ernie. I, like I was saying, I really liked his arc this week. It seemed to me that he really did some, I mean, after he went through getting over, you know, he got his, he got drunk and was sad about not being a road guy anymore, but now it seems like he's kind of accepted it and it's, it's almost like he's looking back on his life and he's proud of it now, finally. He's been so miserable for so long and he's sort of made this peace. He is very clear to El Confidente that he thinks that it's a really bad idea for Dud to go and then, by convincing El Confidente to not to do that, Dud ends up staying behind and getting married from it. And then, I th- in a way, I just think sort of karmically, maybe I'm like Blaze this way, but um, you know, because of this turning around of his uh, viewing of what his what his life is and what it means, he um, and gets Dud married. But then also Connie shows up at his you know out of nowhere. He wa- walks in the door and her bags are there and. They are reunited, and so I think that through his transformation, he sort of gains Connie back. That's my that's my take on it. Just just wait till he realizes that she's in the tank for the weird mystical lodge as much as the other people in his life. He's gonna have um, to come around. Yeah, he's gonna have to come around. That's right. And speaking of which, we had an interesting Facebook uh, comment that said it had to be Connie because she was literally using alchemist technology and techniques to heal her. Her disease, which we've talked about. In fact, that was your Bart. That was your prediction last week. Uh, so that was an interesting shout out. I would argue that attempting is not doing. So I would say yeah. the trend is there. But I, I think I, I think that you couldn't say it for this week. Mine has to be Beth. I'm with the I'm with the Twitter voters. Uh, I'm one of those Twitter voters there. I think she flipped a horrible situation into the gold, you know, the crypto, the cryptocurrency named Dud. Uh, we'll see how it, we'll see how it goes. I might contradict myself here in a few minutes, but I think for the episode, she was able to make a very explicit change in the direction of of her life. And of course, we you know we all love Dud here, right? That's one of the reasons we love the show is his uh, shaggy dog show soul of the show. So she got. Dud by the end of it, so I have to make that my transference. That's my alchemist of the week, and uh, you know, and also I find her cute. So I don't know. If, I don't know if that uh, <laughs> is driving this at all. Uh, <laughs> funny aside, uh, I, I won't tell your mom if you don't tell my wife, Bart. Um, <laughs> Deal. <laughs> I'm pretty pretty sure neither are listening to the show, so <laughs> it's safe. We're, we're safe. Our secret safe with us. Um, all right. All right. Doors are opening, whether you're doing your, you know, just a tiny bit of sleuthing in the coming attractions or just thinking, what are your predictions for the week? Bart, we'll start with you this time. Okay. I've got, I have a couple predictions, uh, actually. I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I'll say, what I was actually saying was that Connie was going to get uh, cured of her actual disease. And I think what she's getting cured of right now is what is causing her writer's block. So just to 
I still think whatever disease is back there is going to be solved by something. But I think Scott is a little bit on the edge here. Um, he, uh, I, I, and like he's already, he seems to be losing it. You know, when Anita comes up through the floor, instead of thinking that that's a cool part of the lodge, he nails it down. You know, he had been getting along so well with Jocelyn, and now he, he tells him to go back to, he really is sort of losing it. And um, so my weird, wacky, prediction is that Scott is going to burn down the lodge for the insurance money so that he so that he can make the lodge solvent it's a real long stretch but I just like thinking about that because it's just like this guy he did, I mean he's this angry and he doesn't know that Connie's in town and at Ernie's house I mean he's gonna lose it I, so that's my that's my wacky prediction my other prediction if I can is I will I'm gonna say I think blaze is gonna end up being the sovereign protector whoa I don't Ooh, think okay. I don't think I- Ernie wants it and Scott is terrible. Going out on some limbs. Who's going to sit on yeah. the Iron Throne? Bart's going in on on uh, Blaze. Pretty interesting. Because Blaze um, is the bartender, so it's not like he doesn't care about the social aspect of it, but he is definitely the protector of all the mystical star- side of it, too. Without him, we'd have none of it. That's right, he does hold the balance. Yeah, we, without him, uh, they wouldn't have any of it. So, And I think he'd make a good, great one. Oh, there's so many ways to go with predictions, but I'm going to say I'm going to say the over under on number of episodes that Beth and Dud remain married is two. <laughs> so you know, tweet us, get us at us if you want to take the over or under. But I think they will remain married for. Well, I'm setting a line at two, and then I'm going to take under. I think they'll be their marriage will be annulled. Remember, they're uh, Dud and Liz are Catholics. We learned that in season one. Uh, to kind of link into some of the Catholicism here. Uh, and I believe I read something from Jim Gaffin that um, that he was as well. Uh, and I read an interview with him where he talks about that as well. Did I just butcher his name too? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. Uh, it's just my thing. It's my bit. Okay? And it's like, it's like you know, when people go to Starbucks and they always spell your name wrong, it's like that's you but with the pronunciations. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like endearing and cute. I also whatever. Very I, knew the motiv- I knew the motivation Pronouncing. behind the Catholicism, and I'm going to connect that Catholicism to an annulment as a uh, trapdoor way so that we won't be dealing with their marriage within three episodes. Interesting. And whose uh, decision will it be to, to get annulled? Liz, uh, Dud or uh, Beth? Yeah, I don't know about that. I think, I mean, the easy answer is, is her, you know, kind of, you know, waking up sober type of deal, but I don't know. I don't know if I have, I don't have a read on that yet. So we will see. Uh, get a, You can get a hold of us with uh, reactions to the show, feedback, predictions of your own, Alchemist of the Week, questions and comments uh, in our mailbag for future episodes, Twitter, at Pod49. You can also get uh, our email addresses, my, one email address to contact us in the show notes. You can contact Bart and I separately on Twitter. Jim is a man of mystery, as we have established uh, in previous episodes. Any quick parting shots for this episode? That's all I got. I just, or go ahead, Jim. I just wanted to say that I really liked the quote by uh, Champ. What was it he said? Uh, what he said was... Once you call something real and authentic, yeah. it no, no longer, longer is. is. Yeah. <laughs> Great line. Champ, always delivering the best lines. David Uri, right? That's his name, I think? Yeah. Oh, who, who, yeah. We've established this probably wrong. Uh, who knows? It might be. It might come be on the show, spot. my man. Come on the show. We would love to interview interview you and talk about Champ the character, talk about your uh, career in acting. This is your... We have an open invite for everybody. We're looking to get some guests. But, but, but Champ, come on the show, my man. All right, with that, 
See you next week at Band Night.